Well, good morning. Hey, what a wonderful day it is today to be together. And, uh, you know, I was also out of town for a few weeks. Has God not blessed our church with amazing gifts of people that were just able to teach just really powerfully while I was gone? Let's give them a hand. I enjoyed... I enjoyed being able to listen, and as I was listening to each of those sermons, I was actually here last week, but thankfully, you know, I was still jet-lagged, so thankfully I didn't have to preach. But um, as I listened to all the sermons, I would just, as I was listening, I was thinking, I'm so glad that everybody at Foothills gets to hear this, and I was so encouraged that I got to hear it. So what a wonderful thing. And uh, I was, so I was hanging out with Michael and Shelly and Tyler and a group of, and the Harlows and some other people too. So we were all away together. So it was kind of fun to be with the Foothills church family, even though we were away from the church family. It was awesome. So I'm not going to get into talking about that, though I could easily do that. Hey, this morning, we're going to do something that I have both been looking forward to and also avoiding since I came to this church. Uh, one, of the, one of the things, uh, the, one of the advice, pieces of advice that I got from one of our denominational leaders when I was first starting my ministry here, he said, Roger, don't be controversial. <laughs> and you're like, wow, it didn't take long for that to kind of go away. So anyway, um, but you know, I'll tell you the thing, I love the book of Genesis. It is so powerful and so good. And I have so been looking forward to teaching this and I've wanted to do it since I got here. But I also realize that right, out, right in the opening gate, Genesis has controversial things in it, things that people feel very passionate about and that can be challenging. And so, uh, hey, we're going to dive in because uh, we've been around long enough that we're family members, we love each other, and uh, we realize that we have differences. But one of the things that we're committed to in this church is we're committed to honoring and obeying God's Word, to reading it, to believing it. And when we have differences about what we read, we don't just go, oh yeah, differences don't matter. Um, no, we vigorously debate and we go to Scripture and we look at what the Bible says and we want to encourage each other to understand the Bible rightly. But even if we disagree, we still love each other. And uh, I just want to go out there as we talk about Genesis and just say, you know, in my life, I've been wrong in the past. I'm sure there's things I'm wrong about now, and I'm sure I'll be wrong in the future. And I'm also convinced that the way I see Genesis isn't wrong, <laughs> or I wouldn't be teaching it. But hey, we all love each other anyway. And this is the other thing I want to say in this church, is I'm actually not the one that determines what you as a Christian should believe. And I'm not the one that determines what our church believes. And so if somebody disagrees with me, that actually is very insignificant and unimportant. But I will just go out there and say this, that to handle God's word carelessly, uh, to, to believe that we are the ones that sit in judgment of God's word, to misrepresent what the Bible says, or to believe things that are in contradiction to the Bible, that actually is a big deal. So what I think doesn't matter, but any human being that looks at the God of the universe who has communicated himself and says, I choose not to believe that, that actually is a big problem. Not just in Genesis, but anywhere in the Bible. And that's the body of Christ, right? We're all here to help each other figure out 
those places where we're believing wrong things. Now, the good news about this morning is uh, I'm not going to talk about anything that anybody disagrees with, I think, I think. Um, I'm going to save the areas of disagreement for next week (laughs) and the week after, but we're going to start this morning with what every single Christian believes, and that is that in in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so, um, I want to talk about Genesis. I'm, I'm going to talk about a few things before we dump, jump into Genesis chapter 1. And I want to just uh, start by talking about what the word, the name Genesis. Genesis is actually Latin, and the word Genesis just means beginning. It's like, you know, to generate or, you know, the genesis of something. So, it's a Latin word. The Hebrew name for the book of Genesis is actually the very first word in the book of Genesis, and it's just the word for in the beginning. That, that is the name, the beginning is the name of this book. Now, um, I'm going to share with you one of my favorite movies. Um, I don't normally do that, but you're going to, I don't know what you'll think about what kind of movies I like, but uh, has anybody here ever watched Born Identity? Okay, so... I love Born Identity. My family mocks me because I've probably watched, I could watch that movie almost every day. Um, I've probably watched it a hundred times. I watched that series. It's like I know every part of it. But do you guys remember how that movie starts? So, so Jason Bourne's in the water. Well, not the very beginning, but it kind of like the drama gets going. He's in the water. He gets dragged onto the ship, and he doesn't know anything about who he is or where he's from. Have you ever thought about how traumatizing it would be, how hard it would be to live and to function if you don't know where you are, if you don't know who you are. I remember dirt bike riding a number of years ago, another one of the things I really love doing that I don't do anymore, and uh, we, me and this friend of mine were just launching off this just massive mountain and jumping up one side and flying for hundreds of feet down the, field, down the side and landing, and it was just super fun. But when he did that, he got a little out of shape when he was in the air, and when he hit the ground, his, his uh, handlebars started going back and forth, and he went over the bars and landed on his head. And so I get down there, and his, his bike is laying off to the side, and, and he wakes up, and uh, as he wakes up, he starts talking to me, and I was really kind of worried about him. And then uh, he kept asking me, he kept asking me the same questions, and he kept saying the same things like, where are we? Where's my motorcycle? And then like two minutes, I'd say, oh, you're riding this, and you crashed. And then he'd say, where are we? Where's my motorcycle? So I'm thinking, okay, this guy's in trouble, so we get our bikes back, I'm loading him onto the truck. And this guy was like this very big, strong, powerful man. And um, uh, as I'm looking at him and I'm loading my bike into the back of my truck, he's standing off to the side of the truck and he's crying. And uh, he was just like it was emotionally traumatizing to just be standing in a place to be looking at me. And he kind of knew who I was, but he had no idea of the context of his life. And, and what I want to say is that as Christians, if we don't read Genesis, we have no idea of the context of our life. 
We don't understand ourselves. We don't know how we got here. We don't understand how the world works. And when you think about people and all the things that you see wrong in the world, the decisions that people make, the way that people think about things, the things that they're committed to, our world is so lost because there are people who have grown up and who don't understand the book of Genesis. They don't know the things that Genesis has taught. They, they don't believe the things that Genesis has taught. And you want to know what I think is an incredible tragedy, is that we have people who grow up in the church. They've spent 30 years in the church. And in Sunday school, they go and they learn lessons like, you're beautiful, and God doesn't make junk, and God loves you. And that's what they learn in Sunday school. They learn, hey, um, you need to be nice to people. Like, those are Sunday school lessons. And there are people who come to church, and their entire church education is, let me give you four steps in having a good marriage. And, and let me tell you about the eight ways to be a good employee. And let me give you like some principles about how to not struggle with depression. Or if you're feeling bad, what do you do? And we, we teach people, we give these people all these good ideas and good things. But what we don't do is just start at the beginning and read and teach through the Bible to give people a context for life, the ability to think and understand marriage, the ability to understand what we see in our own life and what we see in the world. And so I would just say that if you are a person who has not read, studied, comprehended, and thought deeply about the book of Genesis, you are severely handicapped in life. Now, do you understand why um, I've been wanting to teach Genesis since I got here? And also, I don't want to fight with a bunch of people I don't know. So that's why we delayed it. But we're past that now because we all know each other. So um, let me tell you a little bit about the book of Genesis. The first thing is this, that um, you need Genesis primarily to understand who God is. You will not know God if you don't know Genesis. And I'll just tell you, one of the biggest problems in Christianity, one of the biggest problems in Christians' lives is that they don't think rightly about God. And um, I, just on this trip, I sat next to a lady in an airport, and she was telling me about how the God of the Old Testament was different than the God of the New Testament, and she likes the God of the New Testament much better how she likes Jesus more than she likes the God in the Old Testament. And uh, we had a long conversation, but one of the things that I told her was people who think the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament are people who have not read the Old Testament and who have not read the New Testament. And uh, she said, you know, God in the New Testament is really loving. You know, Jesus says, this commandment I give to you, love one another. And I said, you realize he was quoting the Old Testament, right? And then she says, you know, God in the Old Testament judges people. And I said, well, you realize that in the book of Revelation, the bloodiest book in the Bible, Jesus is the one who slaughters all the enemies at the end of the book of Revelation, right? And I just said, so people who think there's different gods in the, Old, in the New Testament haven't read either. 
So we need to understand who God is. Uh, Genesis helps us understand how everything got here. And by the way, there's lots of confusion about how everything got here. You know, Genesis explains the world that we're in. If you know Genesis, then you look at yourself and you understand why you do the things you do. You look at your family and you will understand why your family is the way it is. Uh, you will look at the world and you'll say, no, actually the world makes perfect sense because Genesis explains that. Did you know that Genesis explains what is going on in the Middle East? See, if you read Genesis, you understand why the Jews and the Arabs both think they own the same land. Genesis explains that. They both trace their history back to Abraham, and God gave it to Abraham, so they both think it's theirs. Um, Hamas. Did you know that Hamas has named itself after Genesis chapter 6? Genesis chapter 6, God floods the world because the earth is violent continually. You want to know what the Hebrew word for violence is? Hamas. And so, um, if you read Genesis, and then you think about what's happening in Israel, it all makes perfect sense. And it actually, when you think about what's happening in Israel, you can think about what life was like in the flood because it says 100% of people on earth were like the most evil people in Hamas and Noah and his family were the only righteous people. I'm not, I won't preach Genesis 6 yet because we're not there yet. But when you read Genesis, you actually understand the world that we live in. And I'll tell you something else, and this is very significant, but with Genesis, that is the foundation of the Gospel. Did you know that? Without Genesis, you can't understand the Gospel. There was these people called New Tribes, and they went to this area where people had never heard the Gospel, and they were preaching the Gospel to them. And they weren't seeing people be saved. What they saw was people who worshipped all kinds of different gods just adding Jesus to their list of gods that they worshipped. And then they said, you know what? Instead of sharing the gospel with them, let's start in Genesis. Now, when you think about this, what's the first book of the Bible? Genesis. You know, that seems like a good idea because that's kind of how God started. And I just figure if that's how God started, then that's a good way to start. And so when you read Genesis, you actually understand your, the, your need for the gospel. You understand what's wrong with you. You understand who God is. You see God's goodness and God's grace. And you realize that all of human history, including the, the coming of Jesus, started in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, is where God promised to send a Messiah. And so, um, as I think about it, one of the most important things that we have, as a church should be doing is teaching kids the greatest gift you give your kids is to teach them Genesis as it is. And when you think about uh, the story of the flood and Noah's Ark, what do churches do with that? Hey, kids, come hang out. Look, there's two cute kinds of every animal getting on the ark. Look at that. We got a giraffe. Let's color in giraffes. And look, there's two lions getting on the ark. Oh, how cute. And, and, and when we teach kids in Sunday school the story of Noah's ark, we're talking about the two little cute animals that get on the ark. We're not talking about what that communicates about God's judgment of sin, how he drowned the whole world, but how he saved 
Noah and his family. And see, what we do, we don't sanitize the Bible. We teach the Bible for what it is. And that's what we're going to do when we go through Genesis. Um, Just a few other uh, thoughts. You know, the theology of Genesis informs our life and culture. Um, It is impossible to read Genesis and apply it appropriately and be racist. Uh, There would be no murder if people read Genesis and thought about it. There would not be violence if people thought about Genesis and, and approached it correctly. There would not be sin against God. There would not be sin against man. People wouldn't value the wrong things. Uh, people exalt the life of an endangered species, but they're happy to kill a human being. None of that would happen if people read and thought about Genesis. Understanding how we care for creation, but we don't prioritize a tree over a human being. All of those things are messed up because people don't read and think about Genesis. You will fail to understand Satan and temptation in your life if you don't read Genesis. You will not respond rightly to all the warnings that you read in Scripture if you don't read and understand Genesis. You will not run to God for forgiveness and restoration when you blow it if you don't understand what is in Genesis. And this is something else. And I'm looking forward to this as we cover the stories in Genesis. Hey, they're good, they're fun, they're encouraging, but you will miss out on this. You will not be confident in life. You won't have joy in the midst of any circumstances. You will not be optimistic when things go wrong in your life. One of the most powerful messages that comes out of the book of Genesis is that no matter what goes wrong, no matter how terrible people are, no matter the bad things that happen, you know, you think about (laughs) Genesis 3, one of the first things that happens for Adam and Eve is one of their kids kills the other kid. And when you think about those things and all the stories in Genesis and all the things that are going wrong, and then as you watch it all happen, you realize that God is always doing good. And that these things that in the moment, it seems like a disaster, it seems terrible, it seems like, oh my goodness, this is the end of my life. And you read about people in Genesis who all felt that way. And then you see how God works it all out in the end, and it's so good. And He blesses them. And when you've read Genesis, then when you read verses like this, Um, from the Old Testament, God speaking to the nation of Israel. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, plans to give you a future and a hope. You know, God said that to Israel when they were in the middle of a really bad time. That's the Old Testament. It was written to the Old Testament Jews. It wasn't written to you, but guess what? The same attitude God has toward His people in the Old Testament is the same attitude He has toward you today. Do you know God said that again in the New Testament to you specifically? Well, let me read that to you. It says this in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we know that that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. And you want to know something when you read Genesis, you realize 
that a lot of the people that God was doing good to in Genesis were people who were disobedient, they were sinful, they were rebelling against God, they were doing the wrong things, but God still blessed them. And even though while they were sinning, God ended up saving them later. And so um, that applies to you even when you do wrong things. It actually applies to unbelievers who do terrible things. If God's going to save them, He will use all those bad things from their past for good. And so uh, you need to read Genesis so that you'll be able to function when something really goes wrong in your life or in your family. Um, Okay, there's another reason (laughs) we're going to study Genesis, Um, and this is it. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Did you know that that verse was written about the Old Testament? You want to know one of the most insane things that I have heard famous, well-known pastors say and write books about? I've heard them say the Old Testament's not for you, wasn't written for you, you don't need to read it. And I just want you to know that when anybody says that to you, when you hear anybody say you need the New Testament, not the Old Testament, I'm not saying that they're Satan. Um, but they are speaking Satan's words. Remember when uh, Peter looks at Jesus and says, don't go to the cross, and Jesus looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. Anybody who's committed to that in their ministry or who writes books about that, that person either doesn't know the Lord or is actually speaking on behalf of Satan, like Peter did. Sometimes that can happen to us. So uh, we're going to study the Bible, and that's why I want to tell you a little bit about the content of uh, Genesis. You could cut Genesis in half. Genesis is 50 chapters, but the first half of Genesis is 1 through 11, and the second half is 12 through 50. And uh, by the way, there are a ton of people who say Genesis 1 through 11 is not history. It's just kind of a story. Those are all stories. None of that stuff really happened. Well, we'll talk about that. Um, I would argue that Genesis 1 through 11 is actually God just recounting history the way everything in the book of Genesis is. So Genesis 1 through 11 is actually talking about the beginning of the human race. There are four things that happen. God creates the world. Then there's the fall. Then there's the flood. Then there are nations. You know, Genesis explains why there's people who speak different languages. You ever wonder that, how that happened? Well, if you didn't read, if you read Genesis, you'd know. And so that's the nations, God dividing the nations. By the way, God came to save the nations, everybody. And then the second half of Genesis, 12 through 50, not content, you know, just the logical second half is 12 through 50, and that is about Abraham, God's promise of salvation, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Uh, Those are people that God promised to work through the line of. And then in the story of Joseph, we have an amazing story of how God um, preserved and built up his nation that he intended to bless the entire world. And so that's kind of the content of Genesis. Now, it was written by Moses to Israel, and it was written after the Exodus. So after uh, um, Israel leaves Exodus, 
or leaves Egypt, and while they're wandering around in the wilderness, before Moses dies, before they go into the promised land, Moses writes the books of the law, and that includes Genesis. So, um, when you think about the story of creation, um, and when we think about this, was this Moses' opinion? Was this kind of something that Moses came up with? Let me let you in on a little secret. Moses wasn't there for creation. Moses wasn't there for a lot of these things. But what the Bible tells us in 1 Peter 1.21 is that no prophecy of Scripture ever came about by an act of human will. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And so this man that God actually, with His own hand, wrote the Ten Commandments and handed them to Moses. That's the guy who wrote this. And when some people in Israel said, oh, you know, uh, yeah, Moses, God speaks through you, but God speaks through us too. Who do you think you are? That you're so important. Why should we listen to you? And Moses says, hey, look, this is an issue God's going to settle. So you get all your people together and you stand over here and I'm going to stand over here and we'll let God decide who He's chosen as a leader. And you know, some people gathered up where they were supposed to and other people said, we're not doing what you say. They stayed in their tents. And you want to know how God responded to that? The ground opened up, all those people fell in it and it closed over them. And all the people who stayed in their tents, they all got burned up. And at the end, everybody's like, okay, uh, I guess Moses is God's man. So he's the guy who wrote this. And so uh, if anybody's questioning what happened, we could just know that this is from God Himself uh, explaining to us about life and history and how we got here. So now, for a very short time, we're going to jump into Genesis chapter 1, and you can rest assured we will be handling verse 1 this morning. <laughs> a very short verse. And uh, what I want you to know is that uh, as we think about God and creation, as we think about God and creation, the thing that we understand is that God as the creator of the universe demonstrates His priority. And God is first. He is, prior he is a priority in the sense that He was there first. And he is a priority in the sense that he is the most important. And uh, that is something that many Christians miss. They think they are the pinnacle of the universe. And guess what? The point of life is not you. The point of life is God. You are not the point of God's plan. But here's the good news. You are a part of God's plan. So we see God's priority we see His power. Uh, we'll talk about that. We see God's authority. And finally, we understand that when we think about God as Creator, that calls us to respond to God in faith. You know, it's interesting. You can't understand the beginning without faith, and you can't be saved without faith. You know, when we talk about faith, <laughs> this is just for free. But when Paul's using an illustration of salvation and faith, you want to know who he uses? Abraham. You know where we read about Abraham? 
starting in Genesis chapter 12. Okay, all right, we won't get into there. I'm going to read um, just the first uh, five verses of Genesis, and I would encourage you, read the first three chapters of Genesis. You don't have to wait till we preach on it. Read it and think about it. But let me just read the very beginning, and we're going to focus on just the first verse. It says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was, out with, was without form and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness, and God, God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. And there was evening and there was mourning, and that was the first day. And we'll go through this, and I won't comment on it, but I think that was the first literal day. But uh, we'll talk about that tomorrow. You want to know what we all agree, or next week. Um, you, want, you want to know what we all agree on? Every single person who is a Christian, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, when you think about that and the way that the Bible opens, um, the Bible doesn't start by arguing for the existence of God. You know, the Bible doesn't say, hey, let me give you the ontological argument for the, the existence of God, or let me, let me reason with you and explain why you should be uh, believing God, and, and, and you know what, will you sit as judge, and, and please, as God, may I enter your intellectual courtroom and try to prove myself to you. And, and I would really like it if you could acknowledge me. That would be really nice. I would appreciate that. I would be very thankful for it. And that's a lot of the ways that people approach the study of God is they feel like they're the judge and that God is in their courtroom. What I want to remind you, and as we look at the way the Bible opens, that is not how God presents Himself. He just says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That actually tells us about who God is. Did you know that we see like the Trinity in the book of Genesis? And, and we're going to see that. We're going to see elements of the Trinity in Genesis chapter 1. And so we're going to learn who God is. And one of the things that we learn is that God is eternal. God didn't have a beginning. He had no start. As a kid growing up, I went to the Mormon church and I sat down with Mormon bishops because my dad was a Mormon, and so I went to the church, and he said, Roger, the reason you're not a Mormon is because you haven't, your mom's made you go to a Christian church all this time of your life, but if you went to church with me, you'd be a Mormon. So I went to the Mormon church and sat with the Mormon missionaries, and one of the things that the Mormon missionary said to me is, he goes, you know, Roger, when I was a Christian, nobody could tell me where God came from. And then I became a Mormon, and I learned where God came from. God used to be a person on a planet just like us. And he was good enough. And so when he died, he went to heaven and he actually became a god. And then God gave him a whole planet. And guess what? God used to be a human and he became a god. And if you live rightly as a Mormon, you could eventually become a god and have your planet. See, Christians could never tell me where God came from, but the Mormons could. And so as a 12-year-old, I said, really? I said, well, where'd his God come from? Well, he used to be a person on a planet, and then he eventually became a God. And I said, really? And where did that God come from? 
And uh, so it was like just the weirdest answer. I don't know if he thought I was 12 and dumb or something. I don't know. No answer. You want to know what the truth is? God is eternal. He has always existed. There was never a time when there was no God. And if that makes your brain hurt, it's because God's infinite and we're finite. So it's hard to even imagine that. But in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You want to know where everything came from? God created everything out of nothing. There was nothing there except God. And God brought matter into existence. Man, that is incredible. You know, uh, as you think about just the fact that God made everything out of nothing, uh, when you think about that, um, you start to understand that God is the priority of the universe. And we understand statements that God makes in the Bible. Like when God says, for my own sake, for my own sake I do it. So God's talking to Israel and why He's going to allow them to continue living. And He says, it's for my own sake. You know, I've heard people say, God was lonely. He was feeling so sad. He didn't want to be alone. So He made people because He just loved us so much and He wanted someone to be with. You know, I just just want you to know, God was not in eternity with relational needs. So He made you. Um, That is not why God made us. God made us for His own glory because He decided, I'm going to make a creation that glorifies me. And when you trace that all the way out, did you know every single person glorifies God? Look at Philippians chapter 1. Some of us are going to live our life. We're going to put our faith in Christ. We're going to worship Him. And forever, we'll be worshiping Him, bringing God glory. And people think, well, how could a loving God send people to hell? There are going to be another group of people who in spite of God's love for them, shook their fist in God's face and said, I hate you. I will have nothing to do with you. And they will spend forever in torment demonstrating God's wrath against sin and against his enemies, and they will glorify God. So you can glorify God by worshiping him or being separated from him forever. And there's people who have a hard time with that concept, and I just say, read about the flood, it'll make more sense to you. So we read Genesis, these things aren't confusing. He goes on and he says, listen to me, O Jacob, Israel, whom I called, I am he, I am the first, I am the last. And God appeals to creation for His priority. He says, My hand laid the foundation of the earth, and My right hand spreads out the heavens. When I called to them, they stand forth together. You know, the earth and all of creation is here because God is first. And yet we have a bunch of people who say, Oh God, this isn't fair. You're my Santa Claus. You're supposed to give me stuff. I prayed, and then something in my life still went wrong. And it's like, uh, yeah, God's here for His glory. And, and it starts to make sense then, right, when the apostles um, say it was a privilege to suffer for your glory. They didn't say, this isn't fair. I'm preaching the gospel. I'm doing the best I can from you. Look at the sacrifices I've made for you. How dare you let me be tormented, tortured, 
crucified upside down, beheaded, beaten to death with a club. See, they read Genesis, and they said, God, you are number one, and I exist for your glory. And it put everything in life in context. But we have Christians who when something goes wrong in their life, they get mad at God. And it's because they think they are on the throne of the universe. They forgot to read Genesis. They forgot that God is the priority. And then it makes perfect sense, right? When we read 1 Corinthians 10.31, and it just says, um, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Makes sense, because the universe and us are here because God created us out of nothing. You know, Colossians 1.16 starts to make a little more sense now because it says that by Jesus, that God created the world through Jesus and for Jesus. So we realize the whole of the world was made for Jesus. You know, I always thought I was the pinnacle of the universe and God loved me so much He came to die for me because I'm so valuable. I didn't realize that Jesus redeeming me and forgiving me and dying on the cross for me was to show God's glory and nature and grace and kindness. I didn't realize that salvation was about displaying God's goodness, not about the fact that I'm the priority of the universe. So, God is the priority. You know, um, God is to be worshipped. All of creation does that, right? Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. You know, the purpose of heaven, the purpose of the stars is that we could get a telescope and look so incredibly far and see these stars that are astounding and amazing and and how the universe runs and, and things have like orbits and those orbits don't decay and there's planets that are all spinning the same direction. But then that's kind of weird because there's some planets that spin the opposite direction And how does that happen from the Big Bang? If you study how things are supposed to work, certain planets are not supposed to spin backwards. And then when you just zoom out and you think about how massive the universe is, then you understand the psalmist who says, what am I that you are mindful of me? And we think about how big God is, how powerful He is, how amazing what He has done is, and how tiny we are, and that God counts the hairs on our head. And so we understand that everything causes us to worship God and not say, God, why did you let this happen to me? It makes us say, God, why do you love me? Why do you even know I exist? And you took on humanity and died on the cross so that I could be reconciled. And if we don't read and think about Genesis, we miss all of that. You know, when I think about how God responds to Job and and how Job responded to some of his problems. Have you ever thought about that? Job's this righteous man. Things go terribly wrong. And sometimes as we think about the Bible and as we think about things, we read stories that actually are um, humanly troubling. Like they, they grab a hold of our heart and they would shake us up if we really thought about them. But we can have a tendency to read a story about, oh yeah, Job had boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his foot. All of his kids died. He lost everything he had. We just read that story like it's nothing. 
until you go through something where you lose somebody in your family and you realize how painful that is, until you go to the doctor and you find out uh, you have some serious physical illness. And, and when you think about the seriousness of those things, see, the theology of Genesis gets us through those things. We don't minimize it. We don't ignore it. We don't act like it's not major. But we realize that when we understand God and we understand life, it gets us through the worst that life has to throw at us. And you want to know when God responds to Job about Job questioning him for, hey, God, why'd this happen? <laughs> you know what God says? I made it. Uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Um, I'm going to read just a tiny bit of that to you, Job 38. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, and he said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. And then he says to Job, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched out a line upon it? Or what were, on what were its bases sunk? Who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. By the way, that tells us that God made the angels and then He created the world and the angels were watching it happen, shouting for joy, saying, this is amazing. I can't believe what you're doing. And God says to Job, hey, where were you when all that was happening? And then He says, or who shut the sea with doors when it bursts out from the womb. When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band, and I prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors, and I said, thus far you shall come and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. You know, <laughs> there's people who have this idea that God kind of created the world and then he just stood back and just let random things happen until everything developed and he didn't interfere because God shouldn't interfere with stuff. Where God says, no, I created and designed every single thing right down to the tides, how far they come up and when they go back. You know, God is determining waves. You think about that the next time a wave storm comes and breaks down a house. That's not outside of God's control. God's not going, oh, wow, that was kind of weird that that happened. God is not, He's not agnostic toward creation that He kind of like made some stuff and then just kind of let it run and He's been uninvolved. And I want you to know that that's true of creation, that God is intimately involved in everything with creation, but that is true of your life. God's not just kind of standing back and going, yeah, people have free will and that's actually the highest thing in the universe is a human being's free will, and I would never mess with that. And so I just can't stop people from doing stuff that they want to do. Well, nobody who reads Genesis and thinks about what the Bible says comes to conclusions like that. But there's plenty of people who would look at the opening chapters of Genesis and say, none of that stuff really happened. And then we're not shocked that they go down the road of other areas of bad theology. 
You know, things today are how God made them, and He's actively involved in every process. Now we're going to go faster. Um, God's creation explains His power. You ever thought about that? Everything exists because God spoke it into existence. You know, Job 42, Job's response to God is to say, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. That's Job's response to what God says to him. Uh, we think about um, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 15. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as dust on the scales. Verse 17, all the nations are nothing before Him. They are accounted by Him as less than nothing in emptiness. Or how about Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful king on earth at the time? Uh, this is what he says after having a personal interaction with God. He says, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. He does according to His will among the hosts of the heaven, among the inhabitants of all the earth, and none can stay, to his, hand, stay his hand or say to Him, what have you done? Nobody stops God's hand. Amen. Now, I'm going to tell you when things like that are going to be important. When you are a Christian in the Middle East and Hamas is coming for you and your family, when you get up and you go to work and they say, if you talk about being a Christian, if you share the Gospel, unless you fit into our cultural um, direction that is in rebellion against God, and let me give you a list of things that you must say and that you're not allowed to say. When we think about God's power displayed in creation, we will be just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when the king says, heat that furnace up and throw those men into that fire. And then he says to them, I don't care who your God is, nobody can save you from me. And they looked at him and they said, well, Nebuchadnezzar, you know, we don't know for sure if God's going to save us. We know He can save us. But whether or not He saves us, we will not bow to you. And then what happens? He throws them into the furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar's looking in there. And he's going... Uh, I threw three people in and now I see four. And uh, in case you're wondering if there was something weird with the fire, the guards that grabbed them and threw them in died. And when they came out, their clothes were fine and didn't even smell like smoke. See, there's a lot of people who read stuff like that. They read the story of the flood. They read all kinds of stories in the Old Testament. They even read simple things like Jesus walking on water, or Jesus feeding the 5,000, and they go, well, we know that stuff like that doesn't really happen, and I know it says that Jesus fed 5,000 people with a few fish and a few loaves of bread, but that's not really what happened. What really happened was when they saw the generosity of the little kid, then the crowd shared all the food that it had with each other, and it was the miracle of generosity. Um, when we realize that God has the power to create everything out of nothing, we don't read stories like that and go, ah, you know, I don't know if that's true. But if you take the story of creation and you say, actually, none of that actually really happened, there's a naturalistic explanation for everything. Well, now when you read the Bible, you're going to question everything in it because there's all kinds of things about that. The third thing is that because God is the creator, He has authority. God made it. 
He has a right to do with, with it whatever He wants. Um, God made you, and God has a right to do with you whatever He wants. God gave you your life, and He can do whatever He wants with your life. You know, I think about Romans chapter 9, where Paul kind of verbalizes that. And he just says, Who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Well, what is molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? Paul says, you need to understand God's authority, and unless you understand creation, you can't do that. And by the way, God's authority is the reason that as a kid, I heard the gospel, I believed the gospel, I knew the gospel, and I was unwilling to be a Christian. Because what it came down to is I was not willing to let God be in charge of my life. And my worst nightmare was if I become a Christian, God is going to do a terribly bad thing to me. He's going to do something like make me a missionary or a pastor. And what a nightmare that would be. And uh, isn't it ironic that now I'm a pastor and I actually couldn't think of anything I'd re- You know, God knows better than we do. And here's where we're going to end. And that is that God's, as creator, emphasizes our need for faith in a good God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And do um, you know that it actually takes faith to believe that? Um, you have to have faith to believe that God created the heavens and the earth. Now, <laughs> we're going to talk about the kind of faith that it would take to believe in the theory of evolution. I think it takes more faith for that. But that's for, I'm sorry, I wasn't going to offend anybody today. <laughs> I just can't help my, I'm sorry. Um, but here's the deal. We understand that by faith, God made everything, right? Isn't that what Hebrews says? By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. God created everything out of nothing. And and it takes faith for us to believe that. Because guess what? We weren't there. And guess who was there? God. I think that's one of the big problems is we got a bunch of people who weren't there who want to pontificate about what happened. And then they disregard the testimony of somebody who was there and who did make it. And and I don't know about you, but I think I want to just believe what God said. And I want to clarify that any Christians who hold a theistic evolution believe that they are, they, they are believing what they believe God said, and so they're not disregarding that. They just have a different understanding of it. We'll talk about that. Um, but I want to just say this, that, you know, salvation uh, comes from the same faith that it takes for us to, be, to believe in creation. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one should boast. You know, faith is a gift. And it takes faith to believe God made everything out of nothing. And it takes faith to believe in Jesus, that he died for your sins, and that he'll forgive you. And um, you know how God gives us the gift of faith for salvation? Did you know that God gives everybody a knowledge in their heart that he is the creator 
You know there's not a person on earth that doesn't already know that. And they already know it because God told them. He told them in their heart. And guess what? He told them through creation. And so what it comes down to with all these things and our approach to the book of Genesis really needs to come down to this one issue. Who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe somebody who hates God and came up with an idea to explain the world without God? Or are you going to believe God himself? And uh, this is how God describes that in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Uh, By the way, that's every single person who says God didn't create the world. And then it says, for what can be known about God is plain to them. It is plain to everybody because God has shown it to them. God has shown everybody that He exists. For His invisible attributes... And we will talk about what those are in creation, but His omnipresence, His omniscience, His omnipotence, all these invisible things, His love, His kindness, His goodness, His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. Any scientist who's firsthand looking at God's work and denies God's existence is a fool. But actually, let me let God say that instead of me. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened, and claiming to be wise, they became fools. And so... Um, God is a creator, and if we think deeply about that, that's going to inform the way we think about every element of life. And so we'll have some fun looking at the days of creation, and we're going to have fun looking at the stories of how God worked in people's life and what He did. Let me pray for us. God, thank You for giving us Your Word, and God, I thank You for Genesis and what a great book it is. God, what a tragedy it would be for us to put Genesis through a microscope and evaluate this detail and evaluate that detail and miss the fact that it communicates who you are and that by faith we believe in you and we trust you. And God, I pray that you would help each one of us to understand your priority, your power, your authority, and that, Lord, we would put our faith in you in your name. Amen.